series called Blessed Families. And uh, we've talked about uh, the broken family, how all of us come from a, a broken family, and that broken family would be Adam and Eve. We've talked about blessed marriage. We've talked about um, blessed family. I want to talk to you today about blessed sons and daughters. And I specifically named this sons and daughters because we're all sons and daughters of God, even though we're sons and daughters on this earth. But as sons and daughters, we go through three phases. And these phases are actually outlined in the Bible. God designed these three phases. And I want to talk about how we relate to sons and daughters in these three phases. The three phases, just so you know, are childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Childhood is birth to 12, adolescence 13 to 19, and these ages I'm getting from the Bible. And adulthood is 20 and above. So I'll show you these three, and I'm going to give you a word. So there'll be three words today that hopefully you can remember the key word about how to relate to sons and daughters in each of these phases, all right? So here's um, in Ephesians 6. We're going to start with three verses. I think these three phases of life are actually in these three verses. So I think you'll see them. I think you'll see childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, all right? So Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 1. It says, children, this, so we're talking about childhood, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So this is the first thing children need to learn during this 0 to 12, they need to learn to obey their parents. I think verse 2 is actually referring to adolescence. Honor your father and mother. I think teenagers need to learn to honor one another and honor other people. I think honor is the biggest thing they need to learn at that time during that adolescent phase, which is the first commandment of promise. And then verse 3, I think, is referring to adulthood. Watch this, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. In other words, as adults, that things may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. I, I have a thought about this because a lot of times when you ask people, what's the promise if you honor your mother and father, they seem to all say, oh, the promise is that you may live long on the earth. Well, the promise is actually that things may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And I don't mean this wrong, but who wants to live long if things aren't going well? <clears throat> so so that, that's a bigger promise to me that things may go well with you, all right? So we're going to look at these three phases and how we relate to sons and daughters, all right? So number one phase, this is the word to try to help you remember, is training. This refers to childhood, the childhood phase, training. Now, we stopped at verse 4. We read verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 6. Look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training. Think about this scripture that all of you know, Proverbs 22, 6. Train. Train up a child. You train children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we're going to talk about training, and so I'm going to talk about biblical training, and I don't have time to I could devote an entire message to each three of these points, each of these three points, okay? One is be clear. Be clear in your communication. I remember one time I walked out in the backyard, uh, James, my son, was throwing rocks in the swimming pool. 
I said to him, James, do not throw any rocks in the swimming pool. He looked at me, went over, grabbed his brother's bicycle, and threw it in the swimming pool. I didn't say don't throw bicycles in the pool. So I, I had to be clear, don't throw anything in the pool. If you throw anything in the pool, including other people, I'm going to spank you. I had to be very clear with them, all right? So one is be clear. The other thing is be convincing. Daddy is going to spank you. Let me tell you why daddy is going to spank you, because daddy loves you. Bad things happen to people who do bad things. That's what I would tell my children. I don't want bad things to happen to you, so I am training you now not to do bad things because when you get older, you do bad things, you go to prison. Things happen to you. Bad things happen to people who do bad things. The only reason I'm doing this is because I love you and I'd be very convincing. Daddy will spank you if you hit your sister with that plastic bat. You stop swinging the plastic bat in the house because you could hit your sister accidentally like you have already done four times. <laughs> so daddy will spank you. You will get a spanking if you do this. Be convincing. And the last thing is be compassionate. Never spank in anger. If you have to cool down some, cool down. Explain to them. Take them to another room. Never spank in public. Never, ever, ever. Because shame is never a part of discipline with God. God never shames us. We shame ourselves, but God doesn't shame us. We humiliate ourselves, but God humbles us. So I'm just letting you know, don't do it in public. Go somewhere else. Be compassionate. I, I, would, I would have fun with them afterwards. Every time after I would spank them, I would do something fun with them. It takes time for godly discipline because I wanted them to know it was over. And when I talk about not spanking in public, um, <laughs> My sons, Josh and James, told me this story. They went to Home Depot one time. It might have been to buy that socket that almost killed Josh that he told you about a few weeks ago where James just sat there and let him burn to death. But anyway, um, so they were, they were going to Home Depot and they rounded the corner of an aisle and they saw two parents walking about 10 feet in front of a, a child, about five or six years old, and the parents were just fuming. And, of course, they realize what happened is they've told the child, you're going to get a spanking when we get home. You know, when we get home, you're going to get it. You ever, you know, so, so they're walking in like this. And this child, it was so funny because this child said, guys, can we just talk? Can we just talk, guys? <laughs> and so they're walking by, listen to this. And this little boy says, uh, says, guys, listen. You don't like spanking me. I don't like getting spankings. We could just avoid the whole thing, guys. And then when they rounded the corner, they heard the last thing they heard the boy say was, guys, we're all adults here. Let's just be reasonable. <laughs> so the first phase is training, all right? It refers to childhood. Second phase, here's number two, teaching. This refers to adolescence. From 13 to 19, we move from training to teaching. Ephesians 6, verse 4, let's go back to that verse. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, we already talked about that, and admonition of the Lord. Let me tell you why I use the word teaching. That's what this word means. Admonition means instruction or teaching. Bring them up in the teaching of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4, 9, teach them 
them refers to statutes, teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So think about this, all right? Um, Adolescence refers to the transition of a child becoming an adult. We refer to it as teenage years, but it refers to that time. This is a time when we go to teaching. It begins at 12 or 13, somewhere around that age. You see it in Jewish culture as well. There becomes a time of teaching. We even see it in Jesus's life. And there's a really famous story about Jesus that I think we miss something very important. When Jesus was in the temple, remember? And there's, there's, a, great, there's a great part of it. I'm not, I'm not minimizing this part, but because of this part, I think we miss the other part. But the, 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 the um, teachers and the rabbis in the temple were so impressed with his answers. Now, that's a great thing. But I want you to notice something that Jesus himself did as he's making a transition from childhood to adolescence. Luke 2, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went, up into, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And then verse 46. Now, so it was that after three days, remember they left and then they came back and found him. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Watch what Jesus was doing. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Listening to them and asking them questions. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus himself. This is a time when when teenagers are going to begin to ask questions. You need to understand something. This is the time for you to help them transition from being a child. Think about this. How many times, though, do we say something like this to, uh, our teenager says something like this to us? You're treating me like a child. You ever hear that? And of course, what's our response? (laughs) Well, you're acting like a child. (laughs) And they probably are. But it's our responsibility to teach them not to act like a child. It's to begin to... to, um, train them to teach them. Let me say it another way. Um, We tell a child what to think, or we train a child what to think. We teach an adolescence how to think. Let me say that again. We, We tell a child what to think. We tell them, this is what you're going, this is what you're going to do. We tell a child what to think, but we teach an adolescence how to think. Um, I don't know whether you use this illustration or not because some of you will like it, some of you won't, uh, but it's like math, okay? Some people have never gotten math. The reason they've never gotten math is because someone told you the answers and didn't teach you the processes. My father, who's a mathematical genius, taught me processes. He actually taught me many times how to solve mathematical problems three or four different ways. But because of that, I learned processes. This is what's wrong sometimes with teenagers, is we tell them this is what you're going to do instead of teach them to come to that conclusion on their own. Uh, Notice asking questions. Teenagers were, Jesus was asking questions. Okay, the best way to teach, if you don't know this already, is to ask questions. So you begin to move in this transitional time where you begin to ask your teenagers questions. Um, what, what kind of criteria are you going to use? This is what you would ask a teenager. What kind of criteria are you going to use 
when you choose your friends. See, they start thinking then where they may have never thought before about that. What, what type of study habits are you trying to develop now that are going to help you later in life? Here, here's a question I wish I had someone had asked me when I was a teenager. Do you think the choices that you make now will affect you as an adult? I never thought that I would deal with some of the things I've had to deal with as an adult because of things I did as a teenager. This is the time to ask questions. When our uh, children were making this transition to adolescence at the age of 13, we had a covenant ceremony with them. I did it with the guys. Debbie did it with our daughter. Uh, we would take them on an overnight trip. We had a ring for them. So I did uh, both our boys. Debbie did our, our daughter. We made a covenant with them. Now, part of the things that we talked about in our covenant, we talked about a lot of things, but let me just use one example. We talked about dating. We, we, we went through the facts of life with them. We did it when they were 10 and 13. The reason we, we did it when they were 10 is because they were going to hear things at school. So we went through the facts of life. But at 13 is when we made the covenant. And when we went through that, we said, now here's some things you need to understand. You're going to begin to start being attracted to the opposite sex. And when that happens, we want to tell you some things that's going to happen in your body. We want to tell you some things that will happen in your emotions. And so we told him. And then we said we want to make a covenant with you. You have a part and we have a part. And we said your part is that you'll talk to us and be open and honest with us when you're attracted to someone. That you'll keep yourself pure. That you won't cross these boundaries that God has set in place for your protection before marriage. We went through all the things of this is your part of the covenant. Then I said, this is my part of the covenant. My part of the covenant is that I commit myself to pray with you about your spouse. And I, we explained to him why. You have to tell teenagers why. We said, because we know you better than anyone else in the world knows you. We know your personality. We know your giftings. So we're going to help you in this process. But then I wanted to kind of incentivize my uh, teenagers, you know. And so I said, uh, and part of my covenant is, you, you're going to keep your part, but part of my covenant is that I'm going to pay for any expenses with the wedding, whether you're a boy or girl, because there are expenses on both sides. I'm going to pay. Another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pay for your honeymoon. I'm going to pay for your college, whatever it is. I'll pay for all of it. You'll have no student debt, no matter what. I'll take on the student debt if I have to. And then I said, and I'm going to help you buy your first house. Now, I look back on that now. And think, thank God that people buy my books now because I, I, wouldn't have ever been, I wouldn't have been able to keep all these promises that I made. And I don't know why I did that, but we've been able to help our children financially. But I remember with Josh, my oldest son, when he was 13, I wanted to teach him something about God's grace during this time. And so I went through this and I said, now we're making a covenant. You have a part and I have a part. And I said to him, what, and my part is, is very big too. It's a it's, it's, it's big financial commitment on my part. I said, but what's going to happen if you don't do your part? And I was expecting him to say, well, then you won't do your part. My 13-year-old son surprised me. He sat there for a moment. And he said, you'll probably still do your part. And I remember thinking, you stole my thunder. 
you stole my teaching moment, you know? I said, well, if you don't do your part, why do you think that I'll do my part? And he said, because you've taught me that even when we do things wrong, God still loves us. And I think you're like God, Daddy. And I think you're going to love me anyway. This is what we do. We go, this is a, a time of life. We take our young people through from childhood to adulthood, and it's very important. And then the last adulthood, I, I, I'm using the word trusting. Trusting. So hopefully we can remember these three words. Training, teaching, trusting. Let me say it another way. Children are trained, teenagers are taught, adults are trusted. Children are trained, teenagers are taught, adults are trusted. Adulthood, again, in the Bible starts at 20 years old. Uh, I don't have time to give you all the scriptures, but I'll give you just a few references that you can look at later, all right? Exodus 30, verse 14 says at 20, they were beginning to, to give offerings. Now, I think it's good to teach our children to give offerings, but this was actually referring to a temple tax. They were required to start paying this when they turned 20. God saw them as adults. Numbers 1, verse 3, at 20, they had to go to war. They didn't have to go to war until they were 20 years old. God saw them as adults. Numbers 14, 29 through 32, at 20, they were held responsible for their sin at 20. This is how he said it. He said, your little ones who had no knowledge of good and evil will still go into the promised land, but everyone 20 years old and up, other than Joshua and Caleb, will die in the wilderness. So God sets an age at 20. Now, one of the things that many of us have done is kind of said, um, I've even heard people say this, well, once they're married, they're adults. No, that's not true. They're adults when they turn 20. And let me, uh, some, one of the scriptures that people use is, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, they're under my authority until they get married. No, take the scripture for what it says. Listen to what it says. Therefore a man, a man shall leave his father and mother. No, it doesn't say a boy. He's already a man. Uh, and think about this. What if they never get married? Some people are not called to marriage. Some are called to celibacy. Though Jesus even talked about that himself. So what if they never get married? Are they going to have to, you know, when they're 65, they're going to have to ask for permission to retire, you know? So they're, they're grown, and they need to be treated as adults. This is the reason that I named this message, Blessed Sons and Daughters, Not Blessed Children. Uh, I, I am calling them adult sons and daughters, and I don't like even like the term adult children. It's an oxymoron. Think about it. If they're adults, then they're not children. And, and we have all these problems because people don't understand. And I really think parents get in the way sometimes when God's trying to do something in an adult's life. It's an adult. He's an adult now. Let him be an adult. Uh, you remember the story of Samson. We were just in Israel. And I, I saw the place where Samson was born, where his tomb is now. And uh, the, the, it's a hill. And where he went down that hill to Timnon, he fell in love with a Philistine woman. He wanted to marry her. And his parents didn't want him to. I want you to notice the scripture that a lot of people miss. Uh, verse, 
uh, Judges 14, verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Okay, His mother and father didn't know. Now, this is not Delilah, by the way. This is before Delilah. This is another Philistine woman. Here's what I think was happening. I think God was trying to teach Samson something because he marries another Philistine woman named Delilah and loses the anointing of God. And I think his parents didn't know what God's will was. Are are you following me? So, so many times we feel like we still need to parent them. I've had to even help Debbie in this because as our sons and daughters became adults, many times she'd want me to step in sometimes or, or be a little firmer in our counsel. And I would say to her, honey, they're adults. They're adults now. Our parenting role is over. Uh, a parent, the word parent can be a noun and can be a verb. In other words, yes, I am a parent, but I do not parent anymore because I don't have children anymore. I have adult sons and daughters. Are y'all, are y'all following this? Okay. And I've got to see them that way. Let me tell you another thing. You might not have ever thought about this. My sons and daughters, this, this might blow you away. My sons and daughters are now my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, there's no male nor female. In Christ, they're my, listen, what, this is why I say sons and daughters. Yes, I have, I have sons and daughters. They all have children of their own. They're parents now. They, they, they're, yes, they're my sons and daughters, but they're mothers and fathers. So they're not my kids anymore. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. That means that they can come to me for advice, but what they're actually doing is they're coming to a brother in Christ. Do you realize that some sons and daughters, some grown sons and daughters won't go to their parents anymore for advice? There are two reasons why. One is sometimes parents try to control. One is parents, let me say it this way, parents think if they don't take my advice, that's dishonoring me. That's not honoring me. You know, y'all, you asked us if you should make this move, and we said no, but you did it anyway. And the Bible says you're to honor your mother and father. Let me just talk to some of you about that right there. Let me tell you what that actually is. That's spiritual abuse. When you quote Scripture to get your way, that's wrong. You don't have any more authority in that person's life. That person's a grown-up. That person's an adult. So sometimes uh, grown sons and daughters, adult sons and daughters, won't go to their parents for uh, counsel. But then sometimes it's the other way around too. Sometimes there is a dishonoring because you ought to honor them and ask for their counsel. Honor your mother and father. Doesn't mean you have to do it. You still because you're an adult, you have to hear God. I, I, I've known uh, adult sons and daughters that have just announced, made an announcement. We've decided we're moving, or we've I've, I've decided to quit my job. They never even ask me. That is dishonoring. That is dishonoring. And here's the reason that they do it many times: is because they haven't made the transition from adolescence or childhood to adulthood yet, and they don't have the courage to say you know, would you pray with us about this? Because they fear the parents might say, well, we would rather you not do this. They don't have the courage to say, well, thank you. We'll go back and pray again. But then they might have to come back and say, now that we've prayed about it, we appreciate your counsel, 
but we know for sure this is what God has spoken to us. Are, are y'all following me? This, this, this would solve about 99% of family marriage counseling right here. If we would allow adult sons and daughters to just simply grow up and treat them as brothers and sisters. Now, so I want to show you a scripture about this, and it's a scripture that's misunderstood a lot. And you know that I love to talk about biblical exegesis, cohesive exegesis, contextual exegesis. In other words, the meaning that we draw out of scripture has to be um, cohesive with the entire Bible and the context, okay? So here's a scripture that if you don't understand it in the context of the chapter and cause it to be cohesive with the rest of the Bible, you'll never understand it. First of all, let me give you the context of the chapter, right? Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for spiritual abuse. He's actually talking about spiritual abuse, and he's rebuking the Pharisees for it. And that's when he says this, these famous verses, Matthew 23, 8 through 10. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Notice again, I said brothers and sisters in Christ. You're all brethren, so don't be called a rabbi. Then he says, do not call anyone on earth your father. Again, if you don't make this cohesive with the rest of the Bible, you'll never understand it. For one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers. And this word is better translated master. Some, some translations translate master. For one is your teacher. And again, it's not the normal word for teacher. It's the word for master. One is your master, the Christ. Now, let me tell you a couple things about it. First of all, I think the, the, the uh, Trinity is in there. Because when he says, you have a teacher who is the Christ, remember though, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one, said, hey, I am uh, going away, but I'm gonna send another who's like me. He will teach you all things. So I think that's the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And then he says, and then you have a father in heaven, and then you have a master, and that's Jesus the Lord. So there's the Trinity right there. But here's the reason he was saying this. The Pharisees loved titles, and they loved to abuse the authority of the title. So what he was saying was, listen, if you're going to, to, to say that because you have some title, you have authority over this person, you need to know that the ones who have authority are the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. Those are the ones who have authority. And you're all brothers. That's, that's, are y'all following this? That's why he says this. You get over this thing about having some title and have someone give you a title like you're greater than because no matter what your age is or no matter even if you're the biological parent, when that person becomes an adult, you're now his brother in Christ. You're his sister in Christ. In Christ, you're all the same. Um, one time I was meeting with a Christian counselor and we were talking about things and he said to me, did you ever have a time when you uh, were welcomed into manhood? And as soon as he said that, I thought, yes, I did. And I told him about it. And I, I have a great father and great mother. And, but I, my, my, when I was, uh, um, my father owned a company. And my father, when I was in college, when I went to college, gave me one of his credit cards and said, you know, put meals and things like this on my credit card. 
I remember the first month he got the, the bill, he called me because what was happening was that I had normal friends that didn't have a father like that, and we'd go out to eat, and they'd say, hey, I don't get paid till Friday. Can you, you know, buy my meal? And I, so he got the bill and would notice, okay, one person could not have eaten this much food. So my dad called me and said, um, are you buying other people's meals on my credit card? And I remember I said to him, well, yeah, but they're paying me back. He said, they're not paying me back, son. <laughs> but anyway, when I went on my honeymoon, he said to me, put all your expenses on the credit card. Put every, I said, I want to pay for your honeymoon. When I got back, he said, hey, come to my office first thing Monday morning when you get back. I said, okay. I walk in his office. Remember, dad owns the company. I walk in his office. I'm just one of the employees at the company. Walk in, and he says, do you have a good honeymoon? Good. You enjoy everything? Yes. Did you put everything you could on the credit card? I said, yes, I did. He said, great. He said, stand up. I stood up. He said, give me back my credit card. <laughs> Pulled it out of my wallet. I'd had it all through college, you know, and had it on the honeymoon. I was marrying now. He said, give me my credit card. I gave him his, my credit card. Then he put it in his wallet. He stuck his hand out and said, congratulations, son. You are now a man. You are now a man. And I remember he said this to me. You need to provide for your family from now on like I provided for you. And you need to lead your family spiritually like I've led you. But you're a man from this moment on. That, that's what a lot of young men need today. And if you haven't heard it from a biological father, then hear it from a spiritual father. You be a man. You know the last words of, of David to Solomon, his last words? You know what he said? <laughs> he said, be strong and prove that you're a man. Prove yourself a man. And we're not talking about provision or the world's definition of a man. Hey, what he was talking about was you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you'll prove yourself to be a man. I think God's a generational God. God, he, he names himself God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. 